Let's, uh, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's say I decide to play a game of chess. I have no one to play against, but I set up the board and I move the pieces of both sides. There are pawns, there are knights, bishops, rooks, queen and king, right? Who's the most powerful piece on the board? It's the queen, not the king, right? Queen has the predominant power among all the pieces. But does the queen have any more power than a pawn? Isn't it who decides who moves the pieces that has the power, right? The queen, pawn, knight, they're equal. They're all the same. None of them have any will to decide where they're going to move or if they're going to be allowed to move or if they'll be captured by the enemy. No say in the matter whatsoever. Now let's say I'm not playing one of these old-fashioned, you know, wooden chess sets, but I'm playing a high-tech uh, computer chess of the kind where you don't even need to click and move with a mouse the pieces. All you have to do is focus your mind on a piece and then focus on the square you want it to move to and it's done, right? That's closer to the way God is moving us as the pieces on this chessboard. So Shiva has a trishula, a trident, triple spear. On one spear is the goddess of Icha. The second one is the goddess of Jnana, and the third is the goddess of Kriya. The goddess is the queen. The queen wields the spear. And the queen has will, knowledge, intelligence, jnana, and the ability to act. Shiva delegates the trident to the goddess, but she's only riding on the tip of the spear. He's the one who actually hurls the spear, but she's the tip of the spear. So, we have said that the world is a wedding. Whose wedding is it? Is it symbolized by the relation of the king and the queen on the chess set? You know, the game originated as, a, as an attempt to uh, imitate the Bhagavad Gita battle. And of course, the word for king was Shah. And Shah Mat, the king is dead, became checkmate. But it's all about the power of all of the other pieces to protect the king. The king is powerless. But he must stay alive or the game is over. Who determines whether you stay alive? Who determines life and death? On the playing field, the pieces capture each other, and the queen has the power of life and death over most of the others because she can hit at 
far range. The queen can throw the spear to the end of the board. But who is this couple and what is their relationship? The original separation that created the couple was when Shiva, Parama Shiva, split himself into light and awareness. All right? Awareness became subjectivity. Light is all of this. Matter itself is made of light. There is nothing but light and awareness. That is all that there is. Do you understand that? Now, are light and awareness one or two? Is there ever light without awareness? Would you see light if you weren't aware of it? And is there ever awareness if there isn't light? Even your mind, a thought must light up. Aha, the light goes on, right? The light itself is awareness. And the awareness is light. And yet they are separate. And they have become object, subject, world, self. So the problem is that in that state of separation, they no longer realize that they are one. They have become ignorant, agyanis. And once they have done that, the light has become pieces on the board. And the awareness is a player, but a player who has also split because he required an opponent. So your subjectivity had to be split. And how is it split? It's split between a life drive and a death drive. And every ego is governed by both. And it's the relationship between the life drive and the antagonist, the opponent. The word for opponent is Satan, Satan. That's, how, that's what the word actually means. Why is the knight in the seventh seal playing against death, right? Playing a game of chess against death to try to delay his own death, right? So death is the opponent. But the opponent is your own death drive. Are they two or are they one? Is your life drive and your death drive really antagonistic to each other? Or are they mutually dancing with each other? Aren't they another homosexual couple within the heterosexual couple of the king and the queen? And there are couplings of other levels that happen in relation to the pieces on the board that either support each other or attack each other. But all of this is governed by the one who made the rules of the game and the one who is directing both the life drive and the death drive because who determines their relationship. So in Sat Yuga, light and awareness are still married. 
That's why it's a kingdom of heaven. In Treta Yuga, there's love, but there's no more desire. Passion is gone, but they're still you know, happily married. Copper Age, they start to separate. They still phone each other, they're friendly <laughs> most of the time, but Kali Yuga, total divorce, it's over. And of course that gets replicated at every level because it's a fractal board game, isn't it? But at the very end, they decide, let's get together and do it all over again. And they remarry. This is the wedding that we are all attending, participating in. And perhaps if you're lucky, you are even the bride. Some may even play the part of the groom. But if that's to happen, what does that mean? Subject and object must again be one. Now, when you understand that you as an individual person are simply a piece on the board being played completely. If the queen on the board makes a stupid move and gets captured, is the queen to blame for that? Or is the one who moved her to be blamed for that? Now, what if the queen has moved in such a way that the enemy thinks I have, I or the life drive have made a stupid move and captures the queen, but it turned out it was a brilliant queen sacrifice and death loses because he fell for the sacrifice because he couldn't resist that queen. And so the question is, the brilliancy, and most uh, games among grandmasters, if there's a queen sacrifice, it, that game wins a brilliancy prize, you know, in the tournament, because it's very rare that, that someone uh, would, would have the guts to even think of, uh, of an, uh, attempting such a, a gambit. Because if, if it's not foolproof, obviously you lose the game. So it's a very high stakes play that has to happen at the very end that has to work out if the queen is to forgive the king for having put her in that position. So everything depends on the relationship of subject and object. How does your subjectivity relate to your objects? And I'll put it in the plural because God's really a polygamist, let's face it. So the game, and, and adores all the pieces in the game equally. You have to have the pawns as much as you need all the others. In fact, they may ultimately be the most important. They determine the structure of the positions. And so they determined what is even possible uh, to be done in terms of... Uh, uh, of open or closed positions in which rooks can either play a part or they have to wait till the end game 
And is it a game of knights jumping behind the lines of the enemy? What sort of a strategy has to be employed in any given type of position that you find yourself in life? Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.